Coffee Pods, Karen here with some errata for this episode. At the top, I said you could find us on Twitter at Feminist Coffee Pod, but the reality is you can find us on Twitter at Fem Coffee Pod. That's F-E-M Coffee Pod. Also, later in the episode, Elizabeth mentions a Queen's newspaper that is actually the Queen's Courier, not the Queen's Chronicle. It's a really interesting story, so I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling the political rubrus from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com, or you can find Feminist Coffee Hour on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can tweet at us at Feminist Coffee Pod on Twitter. You can send us an email at feministcoffeehour at gmail.com, and you can support us on patreon.com slash feministcoffeehour. I'm Karen. And I'm Elizabeth. And we have another episode where it's just us buddies talking. Karen, how have you been this month? Uh, I've had um, the semester start, and I've been working over the summer. I'm in a, a clinical psychology PhD program, so I'm starting my clinical work, seeing patients and getting supervision and learning how to do therapy, which is really fun and exciting, but it's a lot of responsibility, so it's very intimidating. And it's just a lot of hours, a lot of documentation. I'm also taking molecular neuroscience this semester, which is no joke, it turns out. I'm a busy bee. <laughs> How about you? Well, personally, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I went on vacation with my family. My son just turned three. You know, all happy things going on there. And just, I guess, getting ready to jump right back into the fall. My job seems to have more stuff going on in the fall. I think just people go on vacation. So projects kind of slow down in the summertime. My son's starting nursery school, all that kind of stuff. So getting ready to jump back into it. With that, the first thing I wanted to talk about was just kind of like a fall reading list. There's a bunch of books that I'm trying to read at once. I haven't finished all of them. And then a bunch that are just coming out this season that I that I really want to get to. So I thought it'd be cool just to give them quick shout outs and then just tweet at us if you've read these, if you want to read them and uh, let us know what's on your fall reading list. Maybe if there's enough interest, we could make a feminist coffee hour book club on Goodreads. Or you can just friend me on Goodreads. It's Miss Cherry Pie. I'm pretty sure you'd find me that way. So I've been listening to the audiobook of The Half Has Never Been Told, The Making of American Capitalism and Slavery. And I've been learning a lot. And it kind of ties in with the 1619 Project, which is a journalistic endeavor by the New York Times to go into the history of slavery in the United States as we're coming up on the 400th anniversary of slaves arriving in the United States. I think that it's just really important history for everyone to know. And I think that it's just very telling the pushback that this kind of education gets. The Washington Post did a story about, there was an, originally in a, a tweet, someone tweeted out a comment that someone left on Yelp of a plantation complaining about the tour guide at the plantation being too honest about what had happened during slavery. And then the Washington Post kind of did a deeper dive into that, the way that tourists kind of push back on getting real historical information about atrocities that were committed in the United States. And I think that 
as the the 1619 project continues, we're going to learn a lot from the reaction that people have to that information. Yeah, I haven't read um, any of the New York Times writing on the 1619 project, but I've listened to a couple podcasts on it. And it's really amazing that I did not learn this. And also, one thing that really struck me was the international financial relationship that people had to American slavery beyond the United States. So that's uh, one thing that I had heard about it that surprised me, just kind of the investment in American slavery lasted longer than slavery did in some countries. Yes, I, I do remember one teacher mentioning when learning about the Civil War that some other countries had like thought about taking the side of the Confederacy or had supported the Confederacy. And it was because of the economics of, of the cotton trade. That was something that, that was just kind of glossed over. And I was I was kind of surprised by that, why they didn't go into that more. Yeah, but I do think it really speaks to the kind of economic examples that we kind of see sometimes today, like subprime mortgage lending, there are economic incentives that are immoral and immoral to people at the time. So there were framers of the Constitution who were abolitionists at the time of the writing of the Constitution. So it's kind of been striking to me to have this education now. Uh, and it really does put so much of it's it's still so relevant. Yes. And I think that that was something that was covered in the Half Has Never Been Told book, that at the time, abolitionists were making this argument that slavery was not only immoral, but that it was also a bad business. And they were saying that a person who is enslaved and being abused is not going to be a good worker. And if you're treating someone well and you're paying them and letting them rest and only letting them work an eight hour day, they're going to be more productive. And I think that to me, that sounds like the beginning of neoliberalism. It was very painful, but the author explained how this was actually not true, that under threat of death or torture, human beings will work much harder than they will under just a regular job. And a lot of people who have criticized this book, I mean, I don't have an economics degree, but a lot of people who have criticized this book said he didn't strongly enough make the link between slavery and American capitalism. But to me, it's right there on the page. You know, we slavery is illegal in the United States now, but there are people in the United States and in U.S. territories working under horrible work conditions as unions lose their power and as the uh, labor laws are not enforced. And being relaxed. Yeah, because those incentives exist under capitalism to abuse people. And I think to me that that link was very clear that capitalism unleashed will lead to dehumanizing and, and torturing workers. I'm going to push back on that for the sake of pushing. You're reading this with an educated eye, with a critical eye. You taking that from the page might come because of it being you reading that page. And perhaps some of the frustration that people have with it. Pure speculation here, because I have not read it and I have not read the backlash. But uh, I wonder if it just needed to be spelled out for more people. It's entirely possible. And it's it's also just that maybe I'm in addition to I'm I'm listening to the audiobook. In addition to listening to the audiobook, I'm just kind of paying attention to other socialist and labor rights and stuff that's going on today and the human rights abuses that are going on today. So 
that's uh, one thing that's that's on my reading list. The other book that I'm reading is called Shadowlands, Fear and Freedom at the Oregon Standoff by Anthony McCann. It's a detailed history of the Oregon Standoff in 2016. It's taken me a while to get through. The prose, is, he's a very prolific author. Um, it's kind of in that um, literary nonfiction style. He begins the book talking about the landscapes of the places where these things happen and he goes into the detail of, and it is relevant, of the, the Native American tribe that, that owned the land that was being occupied. And on one hand, I'm fascinated because I do want to know more about the militia movements because I feel like they're not going away. They're not going away no matter who's president in 2020. They're still here. They've been with us since before the 1990s, and they're they're going to be with us still. And so I wanted to learn more about them. And also just to learn the specifics of this story, which I had followed somewhat just reading internet news stories, but I wasn't watching the YouTube videos of their press conferences day to day. That's a really important history. And, you know, he can write this book in hindsight because when it happened, it was January of 2016 in February of 2016. And we didn't know what was about to happen in the election, but in hindsight, he can make certain links in history and in social movements that, um, we couldn't really tease out uh, as it was going on. So that book is is absolutely fascinating, but it's not a quick read. On my to-be-read pile, there are quite a few books, but a couple of them that I just wanted to shout out because uh, I'm excited about them when I get to them. One is called On the Clock, What Low-Wage Work Did to Me and How It Drives America Insane by Emily Gundelsberger. And it's kind of like an update to Nickel and Dimed. And she worked at an Amazon warehouse and she talked about what the working conditions are like there. I want to be very conscious of how I talk about it, but like capitalism's bad. So <laughs> I think a lot of these books could be just like changed, but capitalism is bad. But I think this is important because, you know, Amazon is such a huge company and there's, you know, recently in New York, there was a fight about building the headquarters here. And I think people don't want to know about what's going on, about how they get their groceries or how they get their toilet paper or how they get their kids diapers. The other books that are on my radar, but I haven't started reading yet, uh, Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers by Sadie Doyle. So excited for a book by Sadie Doyle. I feel like part of our connection is our love of Sadie Doyle. <laughs> I hope she wouldn't cancel me because I voted for Bernie in the 2016 primary, but... I don't think she would. No, I don't think she would. Um, but I think that her detractors would say that she would. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I do agree with that, yes. yeah. <laughs> I've actually had a Bernie bro people say, why do you follow Sadie Doyle? She hates you and thinks you're like a bad feminist or something, and I just don't pay attention. To that point, though... I saw a tweet today. I have no idea how accurate it is, but I have internalized it regardless. <laughs> um, but I saw a tweet today that said uh, like 80% of Warren supporters said that they would be happy and would vote for Bernie if he was if he took the nomination uh, and that the same was true for the reverse. I believe that. Yeah. So perhaps... We don't all hate each other as much as people make it out to be. It's kind of like the, oh, what is it? The something of small differences. Yeah. People who have the smallest differences fight the most. Yeah. I think either one is a great candidate, especially the fact that they're, neither of them is Joe Biden. 
why do you want to be president? Because I'm not Joe Biden. No. <laughs> Other books on my radar, The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. I saw it today at a store. We're recording this on September 8th. It's not supposed to be out until September 10th. I won't say whether I bought it or not, but stores are putting it out before the release date. What if I bought it, but I won't read it until the 10th? <laughs> Does that absolve me? Mm. Hypothetical question. I mean, you paid money for it, so that's still probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And then also uh, looking forward to uh, Females of Concern by Andrea Longchu. Ooh, tell me about that. I enjoy her tweets, and plus one, she writes four, and she has a book coming out. What is it about? Do you know? I think it's about trans feminism, because she's a trans feminist. What I'll say about, about Andrea Longchu is is that um, she said things that are controversial, and as an outsider, I think it's I think it's interesting. Hmm, that's very vague. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> So those are the books that I'm reading and looking forward to reading this fall. Let us know what you're reading. Tweet at us at FemCoffeePod. And if you're reading about molecular neuroscience, please tweet at me. I want to study buddy. Because <laughs> that's literally like all I'm able to read. I've also been, just for some uh, modeling of, of self-improvement, uh, I've also been in my downtime when I'm not listening to podcasts, listening to this um, audiobook version of... A series called Smart But Scattered about kind of executive functioning. And it's grown out of a series for um, children, but they've made ones for adolescents. And the one that I'm listening to is kind of a self-help version of that about just kind of strategies for dealing with your executive functioning strengths and weaknesses. So for those who don't know what my jargon is, uh, executive functioning is kind of just like the things you have control over. If you are somebody who has a lot to do and tends to get most of it done, but like can't schedule, that's an executive functioning deficit. But your ability to get so much done is a strength. So it's really about working with that. Um, I have some deficits that I've kind of had for a long time. And I think stem from the fact that school has been easy for me with low effort for a long time. And I'm, I'm finally coming up against the end of the natural abilities <laughs> uh, boost. So um, that's what I've been pleasure reading about. <laughs> Everything else has moved down the list. That sounds very interesting. I might check that out. Highly recommend it. It was just useful for conceptualizing. Hopefully I will be able to implement some of the things that I learned from it, but even still, it was helpful for getting me to recognize my strengths, actually. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, uh, this happened about a month ago, but I'm just curious if any of our listeners noticed this or have something going on in their neighborhood. Uh, this is going on in the feminist outer boroughs of New York City, specifically in my case in Queens. I noticed a, an advertisement in the Queens Chronicle. My husband and I picked it up. We wanted something to read online for a bagel. I tweeted it out. I tweeted it on um, August 17th, so this is a while ago. But it's a large ad, and it's in uh, red and white and black, and it says, The Queen's Action Committee calls for the resignation of Governor Andrew Cuomo, Mayor Bill de Blasio, City Speaker Corey Johnson, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, I think City Councilman Michael Gianaris, and City Councilman uh, Jimmy Van Bremer, if I 
I got the last two wrong. I'm not familiar with them. Oh, my God. What did they do? <laughs> um, then, uh, well, underneath each of their pictures and names, there's the phone number of their office. So you could call them and ask them to resign. Then there's a picture of Fidel Castro. And it says, supporting oh, wait, any... wait, but do they have his, uh, his number and how to ask him to resign? <laughs> no. No, they don't. And it says, supporting any one of these elected officials is no different than to support the communist dictator Fidel Castro. They are anti-business, anti-queens, anti-family, anti-American. Stop their agenda of socialism. It hurts all of us. Write or call them. Their agenda must be stopped. We support the American dream. Paid advertisement. So I saw this and I was just like, "What? What is this?" And I'm making I like cocked head dog face. <laughs> Karen looks more confused every second than me reading that ad. Every so, line got more and more interesting. <laughs> right, right. I know. So I I message I put it on a local Queens message board. I sent it to some friends of mine that are work in local politics, and they all did the same Google search as me very quickly. The Queen's Action Committee does not exist. It's not a known entity. They're saying it's probably just one person who paid a few hundred dollars to take out this advertisement. But the weird thing is that there's no website. There's not a Twitter. There's not an email. So if you really agreed that everyone from Andrew Cuomo to AOC is a say Is it a communist or, or a socialist? Hard to yeah, tell. Yeah, exactly. Both. <laughs> a yeah, Fidel Castro socialist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and must be stopped. There's no way to coordinate. So it was very confusing to me. I have no idea. Still don't know. They're also all witches if they're communicating with Fidel Castro. Apparently. Yeah. And, you know, Bill de Blasio, I guess, he hates America and that's why he's running for president. I mean, as of the time of this recording, he's still running for president. But who I knows? mean, running for president doesn't mean you don't hate America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Case in point, current POTUS. Okay. Good, good one. So just... Let us know if you saw something like this in your local paper. Is there a similar one in other states that have a significant number of Democrats? I'm curious to know if there's some kind of national uh, thing or if it was just a local unhinged person. I went outside my liberal bubble last night. Did you go to Staten Island? No, I went to Coney Island. Okay. okay. I went to compete as I do annually in the beard and mustache competition. Oh, wow. How'd it go? <laughs> I will not be posting pictures, but I guarantee you my beard was on point. I compete in best fake every year, the, the hokum and hoodwinked category. Uh, but I think I might stop going. It's kind of bro-y with a little bit of a weird white supremacy vibe. So... I don't know if that's the scene I want to be in. I don't know if that's a space that can be queered. <laughs> but uh, well, we'll see. That's my kind of internal status on that. But um, I spoke to somebody who didn't need to tell me, and I didn't want them to tell me, but told me that he voted for Donald Trump. And me being who I am, my first reaction was, so do you think gay people should be fired just because they're gay? <laughs> And can I tell you, this man was like, absolutely not. Do you think I should be fired just because I have a beard? No. And I was like, well, do you know that Donald Trump is packing the courts with judges who think they should? And he said, well, he didn't campaign on that. And I was like, well, his, his running mate was uh, Mike Pence. <laughs> and he did kind of run on that also. And then the man offered to let me kick him in the balls. Are you still in an in-kick? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, like a true in kick, I got the opportunity and I didn't take it. <laughs> I choked. I was in too high heels. <laughs> I was afraid I would fall over. <laughs> I can give the gist of what an in kick is. Sure, yeah, go ahead. So in the same vein of involuntary celibacy, being shortened to incel, uh, because women will not allow you to have sex with them, there are some feminists out there who identify as in-kicks, women who'd very much like to kick men in the balls, but have not yet found a man who will allow it. I think we found the name of our episode, In-Kick Autumn. And then I, I asked the man standing near us if he would do it for me and defend my honor. And he said that he would not. And then I asked another man if he would do it. And he was like, maybe later. Okay. All right. So, so. I'm, a, I'm a vol kick now. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, just some things we'd like you to uh let us know your opinions are you know we enjoy these episodes there's just the two of us talking but the next few um episodes are going to be interviews with fascinating people that we are sure that you're going to enjoy and early next year i believe our january our december or january episode is going to be about the primary so send us your questions right now to feministcoffeehour at gmail.com or tweeted us at femcoffeepod and let us know what your questions are that you'd like to hear us and our insightful guests discuss about the uh, candidates, about the issues, about the election itself. We don't make money or get famous on this, but we do get to talk to people we admire. <laughs> yeah, that is the best part of podcasting, I think. So send us your questions about the primary. And also let us know your thoughts about um, if we should do a live stream, maybe of one of the debates next year or of some kind of important event, State of the Union. Maybe I don't we know. could uh, bring some friends in on that because we're, we're part of a, a group chat, a politics group chat right now with some people where we yell at each other about what's going on on our TV screens <laughs> when debates are on. So uh, let us know if you want our special guests for a feminist coffee hour live stream. The next thing I wanted to talk about is um, an organization that is uh, giving me hope in this time of fascism, Jews Against ICE or Never Again Action, which is a group of Jewish Americans who are shutting down ICE facilities by forming human chains and taking other direct action. They're fascinating and they live stream many of their actions so you can watch them in real time and they do solidarity events with, you know, uh, immigrant groups and activists. They're uh, an organization that's really inspiring me to know that there are some people out there that are putting their bodies on the line, getting arrested to try to bring attention to these atrocities that are being committed in our name. Yeah, I think one theme of this episode is kind of looking to the past to inform how we understand what's going on now. I think a lot of people are saying, well, these people migrated illegally, which we've had a conversation about and about how that's not exactly accurate. And they're not in death camps, so it's really not a comparison. But of course, the death camps were not the beginning of what had happened in Germany in the late 30s and early 40s. So 
if we look at the timeline, the reason why death camps came to be were because it was too expensive to house people in forced labor camps. The final solution was the final one in a series. So it's worth noting that agitating now may be useful in preventing atrocities rather than just reacting. I see the connection quite plainly. It's really horrifying to me. There's a new story that came out a few weeks ago about how the U.S. government is not going to give flu vaccines to people who are in these holding camps. And in recent years, the flu has been killing healthy American adults, not to mention people who are already undergoing stress because they just made a long journey, because they're children, because they're maybe from a place that doesn't have the best health care. And even if they came in perfect condition, being held in detention like that is not good for your immune system. Right. And it's, it's hard for me to see this as anything but targeting these people because it's just a, a basic medical fact that the flu will spread very quickly through a facility like this and that we know there are going to be some fatalities. There already have been. Yeah, and there, there will be more and it's it's preventable and we're not going to do it. And it's hard to see this as, as anything other than just a direct and, and hateful attack on people for seeking asylum. Um, another news story that we're keeping an eye on is a non-binary host at Gramercy Tavern is suing Gramercy Tavern for violating New York city human rights law. They asked for an exemption to the dress code to have a, not as a gendered uniform as was required. And what I think was interesting about this is that it's kind of going to unveil that Gramercy Tavern was breaking the rules, not just by failing to accommodate this one non-binary person, but for all of their employees. I'm looking at the article right now on Eater, and according to New York City human rights law, no establishment can have separate dress codes based on gender. Also, allegedly, this person was told that not wearing a collared shirt or not buttoning up your shirt would be the same as a girl not wearing a bra and showing up her boobs, which grammatically confused me so much when I read it. Because, like, how do you show up as your boobs? <laughs> Was I think how they I meant, read like, it? visible nipples. Or, or, or visible, like, movement would be bad. Right, right. But also, like, when you want to show your boobs, you wear a push-up bra. You don't not wear a bra. A lot of men don't understand this. Yeah. So... And then there's a, whole, there's a whole Jenna Marbles video about this, about sports bras. And people got very angry with her. And they, I think we talked about this in our first episode. And they were saying that, like, Wearing a sports bra is just as bad as wearing heavy makeup because you can't conceal attractive features either. I'm sorry, wait, what? <laughs> I don't um, remember this. Probably yeah, wiped it from my mind on our, purpose. Our first episode <laughs> was about the idea that, that makeup was deceptive to men. Right. And there was a Jenna Marbles video about how different kinds of bras can make a person look like their breasts are bigger or smaller. And she got several comments from men saying that sports bras were just as deceptive as makeup. So it's not okay to enhance your features with makeup. It's also not okay to conceal them with, with clothing, I suppose. So don't run if you have breasts, I guess. Don't exercising aloud. Something like that. I don't know. 
or they don't understand what sports bras are even after watching a video where somebody very very clearly explained it to them but anyway back to what we were talking about (laughs) i was gonna say speaking of youtube but yeah did you have something else to talk about about this lawsuit well just about this quote which was just so hilariously stupid which is you also can't fire a woman for not wearing a bra that's also illegal. Like, it is still sex discrimination. And so reading this story, I was just like, hell yeah. <laughs> Get him. Get her, Jade. <laughs> I am so for this. I feel like one of the greatest things that's coming out of this kind of expanded visibility for non-binary people is just how much we hyperemphasize differences between the genders and this binary that men are on one side and women on the other and never the twain shall meet. You know, I teach psychology of sex and gender and it's just like, I know how arbitrary these things are, but I think non-binary people are really going to point that out. I'm excited for it. I am so here for it. No, I, I can see how artificial this stuff is just like, you know, trying to pick out kids' clothes or kids' toys. You can try to be, you know, gender neutral or just just follow the flow, but people are going to have horrible opinions and corporations are going to market stuff in certain ways that I might feel is frankly insulting or even damaging to a child. And um, there's been lots written on, like, offensive T-shirts put on babies. But just as they get older, it's it's more difficult. It's definitely something that, that people are taught. There's certain TV shows that my son likes that are, quote unquote, four girls or four boys. But I don't think he knows that. I think he knows it's just a show he likes. Speaking of YouTube, this this is just something that I wanted to share that I thought that was really interesting. Because on our last episode, we were talking about LeftTube and just like leftist content on, on YouTube. And also a topic that we talk about sometimes on this show, you know, the rise of, of white nationalism in the United States or the re-rise of it, resurfacing of it. And something that I had thought was that a lot of these talking points were kind of formulated by the intellectual dark web and 4chan and kind of what I would consider modern fascist thinkers. But I watched this video by Cat Black and the video is a few months old, but I just got around to it. The video is called PewDiePie and the rebranding of white nationalism. What I learned in this video is that a lot of the talking points about white genocide have been around since the 80s. And they were around in white nationalist and white supremacist politics in the United Kingdom in the 80s. And there was a meeting between those people and David Duke and the KKK in the United States. And that's kind of how it came to our country, you know. So a lot of the stuff is a lot older than you think it is. And it's been around for longer. And I'm sure there's lots of people that can tell you why it's resurfacing now. But just as someone who's interested in how these politics evolve and change over time, that was absolutely fascinating. And I would recommend that video. I love when somebody else does all the work (laughs) of researching. And I just get to sit back and learn. Right. I kind of thought I knew a lot about the alt-right because I just kind of watched them evolve in real time since just my adult life being on the internet, but this is stuff I, I never knew. Also, can I just say, I spent a lot of time researching why it is that we call transphobes TERFs, which stands for trans exclusionary radical feminists, when so many of them are nothing like feminists, and provided that history to my class, starting with 
Betty Friedan and her characterization of lesbian feminists as the lavender menace to present day. And about three quarters of the way through, I had a student raise their hand and say, is this going to be on the exam? <laughs> so I do want to say, Kat Black, we appreciate you. <laughs> yes. And even if it's not on the exam, I want to know. <laughs> I feel like it's really important to know. I really do. I had a friend who also grew up very Catholic and is no longer extremely uh, Catholic. And she was telling me about, she was saying, my dad made me subscribe to this magazine and it wasn't even Catholic. And I said, was it called Brio? And she said, oh my God, how did you know? And I just said, you got to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. You got to, you know, just keep an eye on like what's going on in subcultures that are gaining huge amounts of power. Not everybody has the stomach for it. Not everybody has the constitution or the time for it. But it's a hobby of mine that I do definitely need to take more breaks from. But I do think it's useful for understanding why we are where we are right now in the United States. And in other countries, too, as, as fascism gains power in Europe and around the world, Brazil, Philippines, etc. I get like one more thing out of it, too, which is that it's useful to me rhetorically. Because sometimes, you know, I am in a real bubble. I surround myself with people I enjoy <laughs> and who I think are good moral people but that means that I don't really it's hard for me to conceptualize how could somebody what information is this person getting that they felt like this was the moral choice I do believe that most people believe themselves to be moral yet somehow they take an immoral stance or what in my opinion is an immoral stance so I, I think it's really useful for me to understand what is the, the information and the misinformation and what is the perspective that a good person with bad information has so that that's what I can come for if I'm trying to kind of win a rhetorical battle. And sometimes it's just a person with very different and I would say bad values trying to justify those in a way that's appealing to people who don't yet have those values, but it's a way to win them over to those values. Mm, yes. Very neoliberal. <laughs> I just meant that and this is something that Cat Black talked about. This is something that other writers and, and content creators have talked about, which is that what people will do on the alt-right is when they're trying to recruit people who don't yet share their hatred and their racism they'll try to come at them at a different angle. They don't start out with like, hey, here's my crazy conspiracy theory. Hey, don't you hate everyone who's different than you? They start out with something else and they kind of gradually worm their way into a person's consciousness and, and to change their mind. Also, they often claim that their stances are scientifically justified when they fly in the face of a lot of science. It's very bizarre. My next thing that I'd like to go on record for saying is leave Greta Thunberg alone. Just something that I've been noticing more that people have been talking about is the idea of climate grief, of people feeling despair over climate change. And I think that it is completely unconscionable for people to be attacking a young girl who is trying to save the world. I wasn't at that level when I was 16 years old. And for people who are saying, well, she's just a child, she can't know, I don't know, in the United States, 16-year-olds can drive. They don't have any right, but they have some rights. Up until recently in New York, they could get married. 
we gradually afford young people rights in our society. And yes, we should take what very young people have to say with a grain of salt, but that doesn't mean that their contributions are completely invalid. And they're the ones who are going to be more impacted than we are. Yes. And I think, you know, some of the criticisms of her have, have not only stemmed from her youth, but they have been uh, ableist. They have been just completely sexist, some of them. And, and when people say, oh, well, you know, the adults are just using her, like using her for what? To stop climate change? And that's bad because... She's inspirational to people. Yeah. I became an environmentalist when I was nine years old. It was the beginning of how I started understanding politics. It was really important to me, and that didn't change. I don't think my opinions that we should have clean air and clean water at nine were invalid. Maybe I didn't yet grasp all of the science, or all of the, I definitely didn't grasp any of the politics at all. The The whole notion of climate grief has been, has been out there. There's a recent philosophy tube video about it. Um, my husband wrote a post about, post about climate grief. The sermon at my UU congregation today was about like leveling with climate grief and the, the just the spiritual impact of that. So yeah, leave Greta alone. I agree. I'm, I haven't been following this particular activist, but yeah, the cruelty is the point. I think some people think that everyone, anyone can be bullied out of something or that if they are ridiculing someone then they don't have to take them seriously not great (laughs) but i'm not surprised that it's turned cruel at a young woman the last thing we want to talk about is um we put out a a last minute tweet before we started recording Mm -hmm. and uh my friend mike who has a podcast called you did what now uh tweeted (laughs) at us algorithms are we know biased what do we do to make them fairer to women besides the obvious hire women to help program them So for one, I'm going to say the obvious hire women to help program them. (laughs) Uh, For two, hire women to help develop what it is you're looking for in an algorithm. So I would also say hire some social psychologists. Right. And it's not just who writes the algorithms. I mean, I'm not a programmer and Mike is a programmer, so this is kind of unfair. But (laughs) it has to do with also who tests these algorithms. Right. Because like the thing about how like some automatic hand dryers or whatever don't work for people with darker skin. That's because the people who tested them, they only had white people test those machines. So to me, it's not just who's building the machine. It's who's testing the machine. Mm -hmm. Yes. So definitely more diversity in every area. So more people on the team, more people as test subjects, more people all around definitely for some people lived experience will provide them with insight but also consult research on these things you know um a lot of things that exist have been researched and so we may not know what works and everything but we may save you some grievances of trying things we know don't work and give you the opportunity to try something new choosing to try Choosing to care would be a good idea. I think maybe also look at the top. Who's funding your project? I feel like that's very in the news right now is the culture of your institution may also come from the culture of your fundraising uh, and the culture of your institution. It affects the culture of how much you care about whether or not your algorithm is biased. 
and how much your team cares about whether or not your algorithm is biased can affect how your algorithm is implemented or updated. So if you want to fix your algorithm, dismantle our current society, rebuild it from the ground up without bias. <laughs> but that being said, neither of us are algorithmic bias experts, although we would love to interview somebody who is because it is a really fascinating question. And thank you for sharing it with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched a TED talk about this a while ago. And if I can find the links, I'll put it in the show notes. But since then, there have been several People are studying this issue, how to make algorithms less biased. And if anyone who's studying this issue who knows more than us, come on our show and talk to us about it. Or if anyone's friends with somebody who does that and could put us in touch with them to ask them to be on our show, if you know they're friendly, <laughs> uh, you know, you can be the middle person. It'll be great. Definitely. All right. So um, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Cherry Pie, P-I like the number pie. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Karen. And um, we will talk to you in October. Yes, and we will continue learning from our past to inform our future. You've been listening to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. If you like our podcast, please support us at our Patreon, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash feminist coffee hour, or, you know, do a Google for Patreon and feminist coffee hour. Our patrons get early releases of episodes, plus other cool perks at higher levels. If you can't support us financially, you can always give us a five-star rating on iTunes and write us a review as it helps the algorithm know we're there and that people like us, like you. Our intro and outro music is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth, and you can find her music on SoundCloud.